0: Well, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 1. You notice I left some room for you to write some notes. I didn't put a lot of detail on there as far as what I was going to say. Part of the reason is I want you to listen to the words that I'm going to say. I don't want you to have your face buried in, uh, <laughs> in, uh, in an outline so much during this. Um, but you're welcome to take notes. But I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say this, this morning. And... Um, and one of the things that, that I believe is that the Spirit speaks through the word proclaimed. Uh, he speaks through the word proclaimed. The Apostle Paul wrote that it was the foolishness of preaching. I love that terminology because it is kind of silly. You know, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and I'll probably say it a lot more times. It is kind of silly for someone just to stand up and, 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 and talk about what's already written. But God has chosen to use this medium to transform lives and so this teaching ministry in the church is is so critical for us so uh, i want to encourage you today don't don't just listen to a preacher okay um listen to the holy spirit listen to the holy spirit let's see what god wants to say to us today through this so galatians 1 verses 11 through 24 i'll actually get into the passage itself here in a minute but uh but before before I actually get into the passage itself, um, I think it'd be nice for us to take a minute. And uh, um, those of us who are Oklahoma City Thunder fans, we need a moment of silence. Um, it's it's been a rough it's been a rough week to be a Thunder fan. Uh, can I just get an amen on that, please? I need to know someone else is with me on this. It's been a really rough week to be a a Thunder fan. And um, (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, Connor, am I right, brother? I know you, Connor, you and I can go cry together later about this. You know, here's the thing. Uh, Connor and Ian and I were together driving down to youth camp when the news about Kevin Durant broke and I thought we were going to cry in Brahms like we were we were having a moment you know with each other and we're just like what what's happening and and now uh, it's just so crazy to see an era come to an end where uh, you know Paul George gets traded and we all thought man last year Paul signed that long George or that long uh, that long George contract he was a George so and we were like man we're set for a while and then uh, Paul George is gone and then all of a sudden Russell Westbrook is gone and and it's like, oh, what is going on with this franchise? And it felt crazy. And I will admit to you, last night when I was at Walmart shopping, I did listen to a 75-minute podcast of some Thunder fans essentially weeping together about what's going on. It was very cathartic. It was very meaningful to me personally. So uh, that, that was nice to know that that was available. But... Um, Uh, And I've listened to sports talk this week for the first time in a while, too, so apparently it's good for those guys. But you know, as crazy as it feels to see an era of Oklahoma City basketball die, and some of you are sitting here like, I don't care about sports, and you know what? I do, so I'm sorry. Um, And and I care about sports a lot. I I also am an OU football fan, and so you'll, I'm sure, hear more about sports. Um, (laughs) Hey, that should not split the church, okay? Understand that... That is not something we divide over, all right? That's not a major theological issue, okay? So, um, so, but it, it's 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 so crazy sometimes to be a sports fan or a fan of something, you know. Sometimes you have your favorite TV show and it doesn't end the way you want it to, like all you people who are watching Lost and and uh, like I never watched it, you know. And and don't admit if you've been watching Game of Thrones. Don't just don't admit that in the church, okay? But uh, but. But I, I heard a lot of people upset about that and, 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 uh, and, and how things ended. And, and man, all the Star Wars people who were upset about The Last Jedi and what they do to Luke Skywalker. And, 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 and with this one friend that for some reason didn't like what they did to Richie in Happy Days. But I still don't understand that one. Like sometimes we are, we are obsessed with things or we get caught up in things in this world and, and they disappoint us. And, and then when it doesn't go the way we want it to, we just feel so, uh, we just feel bummed. Uh, you know, I mean, like, like many of us did this last week, watching the thunder implode. And, um, but you know, as much as it is difficult to watch some of those things that we've invested ourselves into die, it's nothing compared to the loss humanity has experienced by being separated from God because of our rebellion against him. And so those maybe are little echoes, you know, when we watch the thunder implode, it, it, it's a little echo of sadness, but, but there is so much more pain and grief over the rebellion of humanity and separation from God than Oklahoma City being separated from Russell Westbrook and him going to the rockets of all teams. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, crazy thing is we, the reality is we're all guilty of this rebellion against God in some way, shape, or form. We've all participated with our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we've all gone down this road. And we have moments when we, and I think if all of us were just being totally honest, we would honestly say there are moments when even those of us who are strong followers of Christ have some doubts about our faith. There is a Christian philosopher, his name is Charles Taylor. He wrote a book back in 2008, I believe, that is called, uh, uh, okay, now I'm drawing a blank, um, <laughs> A Secular Age, and he the whole thing is basically a 900-page meditation. Don't recommend reading it, by the way, unless you just love reading philosophy. Um, I've, I've been reading it for a while, and I'm still only a quarter of the way through the book, so eventually I will finish this. I felt obligated because I was a philosophy major who has a theology degree, and now I pastor, so um, now it's like, yeah, I have to read Christian philosophy. I'm 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 uh, I'm required to do that at this point, I think. But um, but I, one of the fascinating things that he observes in the book is everybody seems to be haunted by doubt in our age. Whether you're a Christian and you have a strong faith, there's something in the back of your head that says, "Am I really right?" But on the other side of that, the unbeliever is also haunted by doubt, because they're haunted by what if I'm wrong. What if the Christians are right? And that everyone is sort of haunted by this cloud. Uh, and, and the other thing is we we see that we have become a disenchanted world and we crave something more. So back in the old days, the churches when they were a little bit more high church and things were a little bit more uh, more mystical. When you would walk into a building and it was this massive cathedral. Can you imagine walking into a space like that and the organ was blasting and... And, uh, and it was just this experience. Now, I'm not saying I agree with everything about all of those things. I think the simplicity of the New Testament church is very attractive, uh, especially in our day when there's so many bells and whistles to everything. But there was some sense of transcendence in those days that maybe we've lost, and, and we just have this sense of what's going on. And, and I think that's why we're attracted to the movies so much. We're attracted to Marvel and Star Wars because those movies give us an idea that maybe there's something more out there there's a true evil to fight, like a Thanos, you know, or a, or a, a Darth Sidious, or somebody like that, that just, uh, or, you know, what, what is it, uh, Harry Potter, Voldemort, or something, anyways, I'm not, a, I'm not a big, i don't never read the Harry Potter stuff, so, um, but, but you guys can relate to some evil somewhere, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, Sauron, and, uh, and by the way, if you ever go to the Cheesecake Factory, and notice they have these lights that look like Sauron's eye, it creeps me out every time, um, but, uh, but we know there's evil in the world. We know there's brokenness in the world. And we relate to that in these stories because our world has become so demystified that we don't believe in the spiritual realm anymore. We don't see the the uh, the, the darkness that is around. We don't see the, the light as it truly is. And so something like Stranger Things comes along and shows us a, a darkness and people are drawn into that because it reminds us that we, we connect with that because the world really is enchanted in a way, right? Because the world truly is a supernatural spiritual place. And so this widespread issue is that we are all haunted by our, by our sense of doubt, sometimes by our unbelief, sometimes we're haunted by belief. But each of us in some way, shape, or form at some point or another has participated in rejecting the truths of Jesus outright and maybe even the spiritual realm in general. And so we as believers need to remember the sort of message that we carry. Because we are told right here by the Apostle Paul, and we're about to read the passage, that we have a message that is a supernatural message. It's not a message which was made up by humans. It's not a message that has its power in storytelling or in, in uh, some kind of human epic. I mean, look, there's a lot of good stories out there, right? There just are. I mean, I mentioned a few of them. I, uh, I, I remember I read, uh, I've read all the Lord of the Rings. I love those. I read all the Narnia books as a kid. Um, as an adult, I'm going to tell you, I read all of the Hunger Games books in seven days. Well, that actually happened a few years ago. And, uh, and I, they were so good, and so I just read them all. Um, and, you know, so there, there are certain stories that captivate us, that draw us in, right? But then there's this true story. There's this true story that's actually better than all of those, and it's real. Amen. So let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. Starting in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in, Jerusalem, in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people, because I was extremely jealous, jealous zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had been become apostles before me. Instead I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, and stayed with him fifteen days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying, and I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Oh, that that would be said of all of us. Man. Man. And by the way, in case you're wondering, Cephas is Peter. <laughs> Cephas is just his Hebrew name. Um, so. But, uh, man, there's so much going on here, and we don't have time to go into every aspect of this, but I want to point out at least three things, that three observations that I had reading through this. And the first is that, I've already mentioned this, the gospel is supernatural. The second is that the gospel is transformative. And the third is that Christ is the center. Okay, so uh, before we jump into these things, I want to take a moment and just ask the Lord to center us. So Father, uh, we've been talking for weeks now about how Christ is the center of everything. And uh, Lord, you have, you have encouraged and challenged us that we are not to be asleep, we are, but we are rather to be awake to the things of God and Jesus And uh, we we acknowledge that much of evangelical Christianity in our nation today is asleep. And perhaps we are asleep in some ways too. And Lord, we're open to you revealing to us how we're sleeping and the places in our lives in which you're calling us to wake up to the glory of Jesus. So we ask that you would draw us in. We ask that you would release us spirit to transform our hearts and draw us into repentance and Lord we ask that you would do what only you can do and that's to illuminate our hearts to the word that you're speaking through your scriptures today we pray this in Jesus name amen Amen. let's start with that that first thing the gospel is supernatural because in verses 11 and 12 Paul Paul makes it pretty clear he makes it clear to us that what makes our message powerful is that it is not human. It's not of human origin. It's not in any way natural, but rather it's supernatural. So when we talk about the scriptures, we're not talking about Homer's odyssey. We're not talking about the writings of Homer. Of, of Some famous Roman poet or, you know, some famous American, you know, poet. We're not, not, this is not like Hemingway or this is not the great, you know, uh, writings of of the poets of the West like Shakespeare. This is, it's not even the great philosophers like Plato or Aristotle. It's it's not them. And I know that we as a culture venerate literature. And by the way, I'm not anti-literature. I think literature is great. It's a great way to learn about culture and how people think. And it's also a great way to see that no matter where you are, you can't escape the gravity of the story of God. Because all of our stories ultimately find their answers in His story. So I love reading stories. I I enjoy reading fiction uh, I've actually been reading the book that was the inspiration for Blade Runner right now, um, which is super fascinating. I, mean, I, I enjoy reading stories, and I like participating in culture so long as uh, it's not the sort that causes me to, um, to stumble in my faith. That, so we do have to be careful about the culture that we take in. But I think it's a good thing for us to participate and to understand our culture and to be able to speak truth into it. Because I'm always reading, like I'm reading a story, I'm always seeing Christ in it. Like I'm reading this book, again, That's the book that inspired Blade Runner, um, and it, I'm seeing gospel truth in it, even though I know that wasn't the intent of the author. But he can't help himself. It's hardwired. So uh, the gospel is not a human story. And so it carries a lot more weight and power than a human story. We will quote many of these stories of the past. If you you notice, people in our day will quote classic literature or lines from movies almost like it's scripture. You notice that? I hear it all the time. And you guys know I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and I find myself quoting Yoda regularly because, I mean... Such wisdom, the Grand Master Jedi. But anyway, um, but, and there's, they're great stories, and there is truth there. I'm not saying there's not truth there, but it's only shadows of the ultimate truth that we find in Jesus. So the cool thing about our story, the story of God, is it's the ultimate story, and it has power. Because it doesn't just come from a human being. It was actually directly revealed to us from God. And so that's the point the Apostle Paul makes here. In fact, Paul says of himself that Jesus directly revealed the gospel to him on that road to Damascus, riding on a horse. And he gets knocked off the horse by the power of God. And he's blinded. And he sees the light in Jesus speaks to him and he reveals himself and he preached the gospel to Paul. That was a life-changing experience for Paul. At that moment, he realized this gospel was not of human origin and he was never the same. If the gospel were just another human message amongst the others, the reality is that there would be no urgency for anyone to hear it. There would be no urgency for anyone to believe it. It would have no real power. If the gospel is a mere human message, do you realize that all it is is a crutch to help us get through life because when we die, we're just going to be obliterated anyway. If secular humanism is correct, we die and we just, we don't exist anymore. We just fade off. Nobody actually believes that though. I've noticed that most secular humanists even think their loved ones are in a better place. They can't fathom the idea that we just cease to exist. Or they try to make it like, well, they exist through their works. You know, like, uh, or, or through their memories. Well, what happens when all the people who remember you die? There's something in us that longs for a future and we know that this physical reality we have right now is not all there is. That's why... Star Wars and the idea of force ghosts and all the oh yeah, there's a way to transcend. And I mean, even though people not there aren't many people who who are actually gonna go out and say, Well, I actually believe in the force and in Jedi and all that, like if they do, they're crazy. But but the ideas say something about our values and what we actually believe as a culture, which is we believe a lot of the elements of the kingdom, but we don't want to have to acknowledge the king. Because if we have to acknowledge the king, if, for instance, if Jesus is Lord, that means everything else isn't, including myself. And then I have to bow down to him, and then all of my desires become subservient to Christ. And we don't want to hear that message. But Paul reminds us in the Galatians that the gospel was supernatural, that it came from Jesus. It was revealed to humans by the risen Christ. It was not written by human hands, except for the fact that it was well, it was written down by human hands, but it was not, it was not ultimately penned. The humans are not the author, authors of the gospel. They are merely the receivers and the pens that recorded the message. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually inspired it. So this is something that could potentially be disputed, right? Because people could say, well, how do we really know it's supernatural? How do we know uh, the, the, the scriptures and the realities of, of Christianity aren't just like any other thing, like Homer's Iliad or something like that? Well, not to mention the fact that we have over, what, 20,000 original manuscript copies of the scriptures, and there's Homer's writings are the second best, and there's less than 500 original manuscripts from within a uh, well, actually, Homer's, we don't have anything except for, I think it's like a thousand years after it was penned. And the scriptures, we have writings from within a hundred years of when it was written. Not to mention the supernatural elements of something so ancient and having that many copies that would still remain. It's unheard of. Yeah. Everything we know about Socrates, we have but from secondhand accounts and nobody doubts the existence of Socrates. And yet people doubt the existence and the reality of the story of Jesus when we have so many eyewitnesses. It's funny. It's because we don't want to believe. It's not because the evidence isn't there. But not to mention that, the ultimate proof is not the number of manuscripts that we have. The ultimate proof are the transformed lives. And that's why Paul goes on to tell his story because not only is the gospel supernatural, the gospel is transformative. And that's the most critical piece here. Because if the gospel is transformative, it proves to us that Jesus actually changes lives. He's not just another ideology. He's not just a series of of nice sayings about how to be a good person. What Christ is, is the very Word of God, the very life, the very image of the Father Himself. And Christ did not come to make us better people. Christ came to make new people. In fact, the reality is we can't fix what's been broken in humanity. The only way that humanity can survive into eternity is if humanity is made new. It's the only possibility because we've been tainted by sin. You cannot reverse the effects of sin. The only thing that can change things as a new creation. So, uh, so notice what Paul tells us here in verses 11, particularly, um, if I can get my app. Okay, there we go. Um, again, he, uh, not verse 11, but uh, verse 13. He said, you've heard about my former way of life. So Paul's going to give his testimony. Paul says, you know who I used to be. You guys heard about me. Paul says, I was the one that, that was being sent all over the countryside to persecute the church. Paul was a wolf hunting the sheep. And he wants them to remember that because it would not be a natural thing for a wolf to become a shepherd. A wolf doesn't just become a shepherd. Wolves are after the sheep. Why? Because wolves are hungry. Wolves like to eat meat. They like to destroy the flock. They don't preserve the flock. There's a big difference between a wolf and a sheepdog, right? Now, even though they, mo- they might both be canine in nature, there's a big difference between a wolf and a sheepdog. We, uh, we, we, unfortunately, recently had to put our border collie down. It was really hard. Um she's a sweet dog, but hey, that is a, that's a sheep dog, that's a sheep dog, and that dog could herd with the best of them, you could ask the children about that sometime, um, but, but uh, there's a, there's something innate, something built into a sheep dog that we've got to protect the sheep, and, and a sheep dog will actually go Fight a coyote or fight a wolf, which is an amazing thing because usually, you know, coyote might be about the same size as a border collie. But a wolf, now that's pretty wild for a dog to go up against a wolf. But they will to protect the sheep because it's built into them. See, a sheep dog is a shepherd. They're trained and bred to be shepherding animals who join people in the work of protecting a flock and Paul somehow went from being a wolf to being a shepherd now what what does that to a person he wanted to destroy the church but now he wants to preserve and grow the church and help her to thrive and so Paul is calling us to his testimony he says look at me He's, guys, I used to be a destroyer and a persecutor of the church. That was my mission, Paul said, to, to destroy the church. He says that he advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. He was one of the most religious people you could have met. He had all the religion that you could ever want. And he thought he was serving God by destroying the church, but in his heart of hearts, he was wicked, and he actually opposed God without knowing it. Now, I think that's how most people in the world are today. I think most people don't realize that they're opposing God, but they're opposing God. I think it's because, you know, our, our first father, Adam, when he took that fruit and he ate it, and you, you realize what, what Adam and Eve said when they ate that fruit, it wasn't, there was nothing mystical or magical about the fruit, The fruit was there to test them, to see whether or not they would trust God to disciple them or if they were going to try to take it for themselves. I think God always intended for them to know the difference between good and evil, because God knows the difference between good and evil. But he wanted to bring them along because they were babies. He wanted to bring them along. He wanted to disciple them, and he had a process for them. But they rejected God's process and chose to try and take it for themselves, And because of that, they distrusted God and they rebelled against him. And they went down this terrible, treacherous path that they could never return from. So I think most people, because uh, the world of humanity is an upside down world. So in our minds, we think we're doing the right thing. But we don't realize how broken we are and how far from the truth we actually are. So what happens to us when Christ comes into our lives and intervenes is he transforms our hearts and he takes our understanding and sets it right side up again. So for our entire lives up to that point, we have never seen clearly. But Jesus gives us laser sight so that we can, for the first time ever, see things as they really are. And that's why a person who encounters the grace of God has a really hard time saying no to the mercy of Jesus. Because for the first time ever, you see things right side up. It's like you finally have the right prescription. Anybody ever had that that where you, you thought, oh, no, my eyes are fine. Then you go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor is like, hey, listen, we need to get some bottle caps for your eyes because it it's not good. Or the first time, you know, they say, hey, uh, how about some trifocals? Anybody, anybody gone through that yet? Uh, I... I'm not there yet, thankfully, but I imagine one of these days. Um, but the gospel is transformative. It gives us a new image of the way the world actually is. Our lives serve to prove the truth of the gospel. You hear that? Our lives serve to prove the truth of the gospel. Because when we move from self-absorbed, culture-obsessed people to, to people for whom Jesus is the blazing center of our lives, it shows people that something supernatural and miraculous has happened. I've seen it happen overnight with people. Hey, listen, we got a, here's a guy sitting right here. I'm, I, I love to point you out, JT. This guy. Listen, y'all. Wasn't that long ago that, that this guy was living, living like hell. And God got a hold of his life, and we literally watched the flip get switched. I mean, like, incredible, right? And, 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 and he didn't, JT didn't do that for himself. The Holy Spirit did that in him. And we've seen it happen in other people, too. We've watched God transform hearts. It happened to me. I remember when it happened to me, when God transformed my heart, when all of a sudden the things of Christ became natural to me. I was playing church. I was playing church when I was a kid because, you know, thank God I was raised in a Christian home. But I was playing church. I knew how to play church. I could play the game well. But I remember when Jesus flipped the switch and all of a sudden faith became real to me and Jesus became real. My whole life has never been the same. Because now I realize I can't live for anything else and matter. And why would I invest my life into something that's going to fade away? Quote our friend uh, David Shea, the kingdom of God is the future, everything else is not. So if we are following Jesus, what are we investing our lives into? We've been transformed by the power of the gospel. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. was a a famous Scottish theologian. I like to quote Scottish guys uh, because, you know, I probably am Scottish. But anyway, um, Matthew Henry says, Paul had... uh, uh, Paul had Christ revealed in him. He was not only revealed to him, but in him. And that's a critical understanding on the words which are used there. It's not like Paul just got information into his head. No, Christ revealed himself in Paul and then began to reveal himself through Paul because Paul was transformed by the power of the gospel. The gospel is transformative It transforms us from the inside out. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's why Paul is constantly reminding us in his letters, hey, listen, put off the old man. That's not you anymore. It's not who you are. So stop living like the sinful old person is still who you are. That person has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Paul writes in another place. We are transformed by the power of the gospel. Now you may be sitting here saying, well, I've been a Christian for years and I, I just, I don't see my life being transformed. Listen, you're not patched into Christ enough if that's the truth. You're too patched into the world. See, there, there comes times when, when, when maybe we know Jesus but we've allowed ourselves to be so distracted and so patched into the world that he doesn't have room to work in us. We have to be willing. Our hearts have to be open. And we have to repent it's a huge, important word, repent, turning away from our sins and ourselves and to Christ. And repentance is more about who you're turning to than it is what you're turning away from. Because in repentance, we're bowing down the knee and we're saying, Christ, here's my crown. I'm not gonna run my own life anymore. It's not about me, it's about you. I am I'm your servant. I'm, See, what, we're try- what most of us are out there doing in the world is we're trying to hold on to our crown? Nope, I'm king of my own life. I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to. My will is going to be brought about in this world. What the Christian does is we we take it off and we hand it to Jesus. To say we serve our Lord and Master. Jesus is Lord. There's a a, a theologian uh, named Walter Nussbaum who used to. He was an apologist and. Uh, he still does that, but he's a life coach now too. Nice guy. Um, But I heard him say something one time that, that just was great. I don't know if he made it up or if he, it was a quote. I don't know. I was like 15 at the time and I wasn't very studious. So uh, I didn't necessarily write down the source, but I heard him say this. He said, there are only, there are only two kinds of people in eternity. There are those who look to God and say, thy will be done or those who look to God and who God looks at them and says no thy will be done and that's the difference between heaven and hell whose heart are we for only those who have surrendered our rights of ruling and reigning to Christ will be able to be in the new kingdom because only there's only room for one king in the universe now some people get all upset about that and think well God is so you know self Serving and self centered to have to be the middle and the center. Well, here's the thing Uh, the third, remember the third thing I mentioned that Christ is the center? This is important because the gospel is about showing the glory of Jesus. So, not only is it supernatural and it transforms us, but it's about showing the glory of Jesus to, so in us, revealing it in us, and then revealing it through us to others. Christ is the center. He's the center of the gospel, and then he must also be the center of a life that has been transformed by the gospel. When a, um, so here, here's the reality of this. Christ is the blazing center of everything. He is the king. We are privileged to serve him. The gospel message declares that this is true and calls everyone to repent. In other words, to stop following after our own hearts and passions and to start following Jesus. We live in a world that says, follow your heart, follow your passions, follow your dreams. Jeremiah the prophet wrote, the heart is deceptively wicked. Who can understand it? So if we're following our heart, we're actually following wickedness. We're going to be led into a den of destruction. Jesus says, no, stop following your own heart and intuitions and start looking to me because I'm going to lead you to the rock. I'm going to lead you to a life built on the rock. I'm going to lead you to myself. Jesus says, I will lead you to a place where you will be preserved. Jesus says, come get on the ark because the flood waters are coming. The rest of us are looking around saying, well, that sounds really nice, but listen, I see the ark, but I don't see any water. That's what they said in Noah's days, didn't they? But then one day the water came. And let's make no mistake, the day of the flood is coming. And it won't be water this time. Jesus says, get on the ark, and he is the ark. He's look, he came to preserve us. Christ being the center of everything is a fact of nature. We can no longer, like, okay, let me, let me try to describe this in a good way. Christ cannot. Cease being the center any more than gravity can cease in the world. Christ is the center. That's the natural state of reality. And all of us who believe and live otherwise are actually at odds with truth and with ultimate reality in the universe. So when Jesus calls us to place him at the center, it's not a matter of ego. It's a matter of fact. Christ is... Uh, he. He is calling us to align our hearts with the truth of the universe. And as I mentioned earlier, this seems really backwards to the world because the world thinks it's about us and our glory. But Jesus tells us if you make it about us and our glory, we're only leading ourselves down a path to destruction. The only way we can be preserved is if our lives are caught up in Christ. And the only way your friends and family and neighbors can be preserved is if they find themselves caught up in Christ. And listen, Christ is so kind that he has not wiped us out. But instead, he spilled his own blood to make the way for that to be a reality. So for everyone who sits and thinks, well, Jesus is so selfish and, and, and requires us to bow down to him. Listen, he's just calling us to reality. And he's trying to preserve us before something bad happens to us. His end game is to save our souls and to set us on the path toward righteousness and truth. He actually wants really good things for you and for me. I'm sure I could go on for a lot longer, but I'm I'm not going to. Here's what I want to encourage us on. At the end of this passage, Paul writes, all these things happened to him, like his life put on display, and he says, and then they gave God glory because of me. See, nobody was running around going, wow, look at that Paul guy. He's like so cool. In fact, they were like, what a loser. A lot of them were because he, he had the status and position And then all of a sudden, all of it crashed like a house of cards when he came to know Jesus and his life was transformed. And yet, the Christians and those who were understanding of the reality of the world, the ultimate reality, gave God glory. So I want to ask this question Do other Christians give God glory because of your life? Our design has always been to glorify God by joining Him in the work of ruling and reigning over the world. Sin broke us beyond repair. Jesus spilled His blood to supernaturally transform us into a new people who are once again living for the glory of God and for the good of the entire world. So the good news is no matter where you are today, there's hope in Jesus. But I think we all need to be asking the question what about me? What's at the center of my life? And is it Christ? Is there evidence that says that Christ is at the center of my life, like there was for the Apostle Paul? Are we living for the glory of Jesus, or have we? Is there some way in which our lives have gone off course? And how is Christ calling us back? We're never permanently gone as long as there's a door open to repentance. And there's always a door open to repentance as long as you're alive. So, uh, Pastor Michael is going to come. He's just going to lead us in a time of response to this and prayer. I know we got started a little bit late today, so we might go just a tiny bit over. I'm sure you guys are fine with that. Um, but uh, Pastor Michael is going to lead us in a time of response and reflection. And let's just listen to the Spirit. What is He saying to you through all this? What, what has He spoken? Um, How's God calling you to follow Him today?
1: When I was younger, um, and even now, the Father, even before I came to know Him at the age of twenty-three, um, I was born and raised in church. And one of the characteristics that the Father has has ingrained in me and created in me, and I've recently realized, is that I'm an observer, and I observe. That's what that means just in case you're wondering. Um, When I was younger, I grew up and I saw this church filled with people that said that they were Christians and only the Father knows their hearts, but I also saw the pain that they would inflict on each other. I saw all that. Um, And I don't know if that was just for my eyes and the Father was revealing things to me because later he would finish drawing me to him. But I would observe these things And if we say we have repented, repentance demands change. Change produces fruit. If your life is marked by change, then you've repented. Is your life marked by change? Do you walk in daily repentance? That's something to ask ourselves if we say we know the Father. Father, would you be with us? Lord, as other people observe us here at New Covenant Fellowship or just individually as we walk by the way, Lord, do they glorify you because of us? Or do they glorify the world because of the fruit that our lives bear? Do we realize that our lives in every aspect, every action that we take should bear the fruit of the change and the reality of you, Jesus, in our lives. Father, let our lives be proof of your love in everything we say and everything we do. Father, bring conviction. Father, we ask that you would be with us. Lord, we need this. And if any of us in here right now, including myself, Lord, uh, if, if we have something in our hearts that is, that is a pursuit of self-satisfaction for our own heart's pleasure, um, Lord, would you convict us of that and draw us into repentance so that we can rest in the peace and the fulfillment that only you can provide? as our Father, as our God. Lord, you demand to be worshiped. Not us. But you honor us as your image bearers, as your children. Father, you love us more than we could ever love ourselves. Let us see that. Father, we need your presence. Spirit, come. Let us understand that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are pure light, and if there's any darkness in us, we can't experience that light. Let us repent and wash away that darkness so that we can experience your light and your wholeness, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, um, I know that... um, We usually go into a time of prayer. The pastors will be around here and pray. And I know that there's so many other outside of the pastors here that love to pray. And so if you need to pray with somebody, I I love it that we do this at the end. As we dismiss and as we leave and we go our our way, remember this is family. We we want to pray with you. Let us bear your burden. If there's something that you just need to confess and have somebody pray with you about, let's do that. Um, Let us carry each other's burden through prayer. Um, anyways, I love you guys and I know that I know that Nick loves you guys and, and we're here for you